Hey everyone, this is episode 20 of Environmental Professionals. My name is John Lieber. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram, which is at jungle underscore capital. I'm uh, happy to have my guest Mario here today. So thank you, Mario, for joining me and welcome. Uh, if we, you can just get us started by uh, introducing yourself. Thanks, John. Hello, my name is Mario Mora. I am an ecologist out here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, currently, I am working as both a utility forester and an adjunct instructor at a community college out here. Great. Uh, so, so what uh, can you tell us a little bit like what got you into forestry originally? Uh, forestry, really, it comes down to it was a passion of mine when I was a kid. Um, that and music. And so I spent my <laughs> spent my 20s trying to be a rock star and that didn't pan out. So I decided to go back to school and got an associate's degree initially in forestry and decided like, OK, that's not enough. I need at least a bachelor's. Got a bachelor's degree at Colorado State University here in the United States and went with that for a while and realized, no, nope, in the end, I want to teach. So then I pursued my master's degree in, uh, in restoration ecology. Interesting. Actually, I think we have some parallels in our in our career path. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to ask. Uh, so you live in Oregon now. Is that where you grew up or you said you grew up in Colorado as well? Um, actually, no, I'm a little bit of a nomad. Uh, grew up in uh, in Missouri, St. Louis proper. OK, so grew up in the Midwest and then moved out to Colorado. And you say you're always, oh, wait, sorry. Continue. That's all right. Yeah, then moved out to Colorado, then did us, then moved to Oregon. That's when the initial passion and actually getting back into school started. I see. Realized, so you've been, going, you've been moving west. Uh, yeah, I kept on moving west. So what, uh, you said you were always passionate about forestry, but I mean, there must have been some sort of start to that, like, was it your, your parents or just like being around the nature in Missouri? Like what? I'm always curious on what gets people hooked. Uh, what got me hooked really is being a kid and being out in the woods by myself. And just seeing, well, at the time I didn't know, I was nine or ten, um, seeing the systems kind of work with each other. Not really understanding what I was looking at at the time, but understanding that there's a relationship between the stream and the trees and the wildlife that are out here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I think that uh, kind of kind of uh, sparked my passion as well because I grew up on a farm um, uh, outside of Toronto, and I had that those that time alone in nature, and I knew I always appreciated it, but um, now uh, actually because I just moved to the UK, and the requirement is that you must quarantine for ten days, meaning I have not had any nature for ten days, and that's oh, that is when you start to uh, really feel how important it is not to just have exposure to nature but have to time to be alone in nature and how uh how essential that can really be for your overall well-being uh and what i was saying before but and i think this can bring bring value to a, um, some people that are listening is about um your story about starting with a with an associate's degree um and realizing i did the same thing as well i, I did the canadian uh, version of an associate's degree uh, in ecosystem or in urban forestry and then I started applying to more and more jobs and the requirement was always a bachelor's degree it was this hard wall stop and um, uh, sometimes that's frustrating because what I started quickly realizing is that 
we're, we don't live in a, and, and this, this eventually is why I pursued a master's degree as well, but you quickly learn that we do not live in a merit-based society. We live in a credential, credential-based society, right? And yes. that, that is an unfortunate reality that I would like to see um, and help change in some ways. Um, because then once I got my bachelor's degree and I started trying to do some consulting, then they would want to see my um, my formal urban planning certification and my certified arborist. The arborist one at least has a pathway um, for uh, just uh, associate's degree with work experience. And the American planning uh, uh, certification allows a work experience pathway as well. But the Canadian one is strictly to have a bachelor's degree. And because I didn't have that, I was stuck in this. I couldn't get uh, I couldn't get certified, and I couldn't get jobs. So then I eventually had to uh, pursue a master's degree, which I'm doing now, actually, in Europe to get that that higher level um, education experience. So that's something for people to keep in mind if you're trying to uh, just skirt the system and get as minimal education as possible. Is uh, when I look back, is to you know just do the education from the onset that you, you're going to require. I would agree. I would uh, to dovetail off that. I got advice on various field trips from professionals. Um, even in my associate's degree, it's like, well, what advice would you give someone? It's like, go for a master's. Don't stop at a bachelor's. Um, I'm sure in Canada it's the same way, but in natural resource world in the United States, a bachelor's is becoming commonplace. Mm-hmm. So everyone has a bachelor's degree. So go straight for the master's. I mean, would be my advice. Yeah. Uh, find, find a professor that wants to mentor you, find an area that's interesting to you. And because you can be working with your professor a lot on that particular topic. But um, yeah, mine just for education. Do not stop with a bachelor's, assuming that fingers crossed you'll be able to afford to do so. What uh, school did you end up going to? What university? I went to Colorado State University. So after I moved to Oregon, yeah, I moved back to Colorado. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I went to Colorado State University, got my bachelor's, like I said, took that out for a spin for a little while and realized everywhere I go, every job that I had that I got with with my bachelor's degree, there's always some type of educational component to it, whether it being uh, talking to a person about the property they have or talking to a group of people about um, a fuels mitigation project they needed to do. And after majority of them, they'd always come back to me and say, you know, you should teach. And it, um, the last straw, as it were, for me, was when I was working a fire out in Colorado and I was talking to a group of people, a group of drivers. Now, after we finished our job, I'm just talking about basic, you started initially with fire ecology and you know, fire behavior, what have you. Then I dovetailed that off into ecology related around fire, you know, carbon leaving the system, and stuff like that. And at the end of that, the majority of them said, yeah, you need to teach. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've heard this enough, so I need to go out and get my master's. And I want to teach. And now, really, I know, I know, it was, I know it was a while ago, but uh, what was your thesis on uh, from your master's? Um, I recreated a historic stand. I got in touch with a, a dendrochronologist, and he gave me um, map data, uh, stump data, essentially, of a stand that was 300 to 350 years old. And so I went out and did a few regression equations, uh, got data from uh, Ponderosa Pine Forest Current, and see if I could actually recreate that. Um, 
given this dump data. So I wanted to essentially recreate the spatial dynamics of what was happening pre-European settlement. Oh, that's very cool. So you did that through a plantation? Like um, uh, well, I did that, and oh, this is kind of a sad story. This is why I got into ecology. I got everything done, initial uh, data collected, writing up the paper. We, because of my wife's job, we had to quickly move back to Oregon. And I had two semesters left of essentially online classes and writing up the paper. Getting that data ready, what have you. The chair of my committee got sick and he passed away. Mm -hmm. And so my other two committee members were like, we don't. One was a wildlife guy, another one um, a forester. It's like, we don't have the knowledge and spatial stats to actually pick this up. So it's like, okay, what can I do then? We have online courses for restoration ecology that are ready to roll. It'll add another year. If you take it, if you don't go full-time, it'll add another year, but it's possible. So, okay. Ecology was always my bent anyway. Interesting. Sad, sad that he passed away, yeah, but it seemed... But it's yeah. a bit of a silver lining though too exactly yeah because i actually found uh my my introduction to it was also a, a bit of a silver lining just because um so my frustration was that i didn't have enough education so i thought i would go back and take a little bit more and i took uh, ecosystem management kind of as my my bachelor's and um with that is when i originally took my urban forestry uh, associate's degree it, it was similar to forestry. We actually had a lot of forestry courses and also my family is a logging family. They have a logging business. So I always grew up with the mindset of like looking at the trees. And when I started taking ecology, it was such an eye opener because you're, it was almost frustrating to me because I was thinking, wow, I was just looking at this one metric of an entire interacting landscape. <laughs> and I thought that I could manage trees without knowing about the rest of this and it's significant right so that really opened up my eyes and i think this threads in really nicely into my next question to you is uh mm -hmm. and it's some it's fairly philosophical everyone's going to have different opinions but uh why do you feel that forests need to be managed or have human inter intervention um there's no part uh especially within the continental united states there's no forest that we have that doesn't doesn't have an anthropogenic direct influence um someone can argue wilderness areas and it's like well true inside that border but who created the border that and often the wilderness areas are surrounded by national forest or state forest or something along those lines and we've influenced fire behavior in those areas that would have progressed naturally into the wilderness areas so it's we're there already in one form or another um and also, you know, now that I brought up fire, since in the continental U.S. policy since 1910 of us suppressing fire, we have to go out and manage our forests and act as best like fire as we possibly can. You know, fire is not only destructive, but it's also an ecological tool that happen that happens naturally in our environments. And if we're going to remove fire from a landscape because we have people living you know, in the wilderness areas or because we have infrastructure going through a particular area, then we have to act as best we can as fire. That would that would have occurred there, whether it be five year intervals, 20 year intervals, 200 year intervals. Depending upon obviously forest type, 
topography, climatic um, influences, what have you. Um, that's philosophical. And then let's go from macro to micro. We have communities that are directly influenced by how our forests are managed, whether it be logging communities, whether it be recreational um, and recreational opportunities near a community and you know, community benefits from people coming in, what have you. Like I mentioned before, it is not a strict, let's look at the woods at just for the, those issues. We need to ourselves um, be a part of the ecological equation economics of the system uh, of a community, the um, social impact that forestry operations has, whether pro or con. Um, besides, I mean, we could go on for hours on this topic if you wanted to, but I think that's an initial. That That's a power. That's a that's a really powerful thing that you said about that we need to include ourselves in the ecosystem because mm -hmm. People really struggle. I, ecologists struggle with that. Even I think of thinking as humans as uh, contributing, not always negatively, um, to the eco to ecological function. Um, so I think that's an interesting uh, concept to get into to people's um, psyche because you know we're we're going to be here for a while. I think, anyways. So it's uh, important. Well, to <laughs> yes, um, and I'm wondering, uh, like the mainstream. And I'm wondering if it's a la lazy adopted narrative in the like uh, high level ecology community when all these uh, major fire events are happening in the West Coast is that um, OK, we just need to do more controlled bur burns. I'm wondering what are your thoughts on that? And, and maybe it is maybe that is the correct narrative or if you want to provide some extra additional nuances to that argument. Well, controlled burns is usually step two. Uh, people don't like to hear step one which is thinning. Uh, like I mentioned before, forestry operations are ugly. I, I'd be the first to admit it. You go to a logging site and if you're not familiar with it, with what you're about to see, it's devastating. Um, like you see, you know, almost a barren landscape with logs decked up, what have you. But you have to have a foresight to look ahead 20, 50 years, what this environment is going to end up looking like. Um, in the areas further south of me, around California, what have you, um, that fire regime, depending upon where you are, burns once every five years to almost some places annually, historically speaking. And we've taken fire out of the equation, obviously, because the population is so dense down there. We can't have, use fire as it, normally as a tool. Just, you know, set a fire and off you go. So we got to get out there and do some fuels management, whether it be thinning or getting out there and just knocking down brush or what have you. That has to be step one. Then if it makes sense to burn, yeah, it does make sense to burn because I mean, we need those nutrients back into the soils. And, you know, we don't have healthy soils, you don't have healthy ecosystems, period. Mm -hmm. um, so burning historically should ha has happened, should happen, but with so many people in in our you know ecosystems now living in the wildland urban interface or WUI, or like i said infrastructure going through pipelines uh, power lines what have you there are things out there we can't just go rampant and just burn willy-nilly we need to plant these things out so yeah control yeah. burns need them but that's step two or yeah. it's not step three step four it's not the first step 
See, that's interesting, and I didn't know uh, that the thinning was so important. Do you feel that there's a, a bit of a, well, a, a significant tension between thinning and ecological integrity? Can thinning be done in forests while maintaining the integrity of forests? Um, you have to define the term ecological integrity. I mean, what are we looking for? Um, it does a landowner or a community, are they interested in recreation in a given area? Are they interested in hunting? Are they interested in productivity? Are they growing lumber? Are they interested in just keeping it in a wilderness area? All these things have to be taken into account before the planning process even begins. Well, let, uh, me, it, it, let me ask you this. Do you feel mm -hmm. that there should be any forests in the states that are not, in the entire United States that are not thinned? Um, we can do the national park um, point of view of just, you know, we let burns do what they do. And I think that is a wise choice. I mean, they defend their historic sites, but besides that, they let fires go throughout their landscape. Um, I think if you can adopt that model, you should. But considering out in the Western United States, our forests are so dense, or our human populations within our forests are so dense within the WUI, that I don't think we can afford to have forests that aren't thin, that aren't, to have their fuels mitigated. Um, because when you do, and you have a catastrophic wildfire roll through, you now have to spend an exorbitant amount of resources defending those homes. And then you have to pay a lot in insurance costs after inevitably some of these homes burn. Mm -hmm. So it's not a matter of should we have forests that aren't thin. It's like, I don't think, I think we're past that point now. I think we have no choice. We have to go out there and then. Now, how do you do that responsibly? <laughs> That's a whole other question. Um, you know, we need to go out there and see what are the resources that we're interested in protecting. How do you go out and manage forest in a manner that keeps the ecosystem services going, that keeps the ecosystem healthy? That's our complicated issue. Well, uh, Jesus Christ, I'm so glad I get to talk to you because uh, this is giving me a lot of clarity because not only when these events happen, is there a big smoke uh, screen literally in the sky? because I know you guys went through a big event, but also the information too. Um, for me on the East Coast, not experiencing that type of, those type of fires, you read the op-eds that are coming out around the when the events are happening, and there's mm -hmm. so much contradictory information with no nuance and no, um, like, uh, like really, that kind that type, this type of clear but uh, nuanced perspective, and I, I really appreciate that um, that that uh, articulate way that you explain it. Uh, and then I I guess I feel like I know the answer um, to the next um, question, which is uh, have you have you um, heard about Trump's announcement to uh, log ton gas in Alaska? Uh, and I'm wondering if, because I actually heard from a one of a really good friend of mine uh, and someone I follow. Uh, his name's Scott Byer. He's an urban planner, and he uh, he was saying that he would like to see it logged because of the fire hazards. But my perspective was, well, it is very isolated. I mean, in comparison to the Western Forest United States. So I just wanted to get your opinion on that. Um, my I mean. 
logging an area like that, the first question I would come back with was, have we, or has anyone, talked to the locals, whether it be the Native Americans that are up there or the people living there, and gotten their input? Um, there's a lot we can learn from the people who historically have been on the land, not just generations, but hundreds upon hundreds of years, if not thousands. Um, let's listen to them. What were their practices? And, and, and we just need to be able to open our eyes and ears to a different point of view for from people who are on the land. Second, that system up there, I mean, because of, and you know as well as anyone, that it recovers so slowly after any type of disturbance that logging up there, <laughs> um, I, yes, ideally, it's nice. You get your machinery in, you get your machinery out, nothing breaks down. That's not realistic. There's going to be oil spills that, you know, from machinery. You're going to have broken equipment here and there. And what would take in the States, depending upon where you are, you know, 20 to 50 years to recover may take a couple hundred, if not more, up there to recover from, you know, um, a feller buncher just losing its oil pan, uh, what have you. Mm -hmm. And so we need to take the, that into consideration. And why log up there? What is the motivation? Uh, is it fuels mitigation? I mean, Alaska burns and they're really not con overly concerned until it gets to the 100,000 acre mark. And so let's just... I think it was mentioned as possibly a, dis a distraction. That or to show that we want to open up Alaska to more management for profit. And I, I understand that. I don't necessarily agree with it. If it's money you want to make, there's more profitable areas in the United States. But when it comes to our natural resource system, you have to ask, you know, should money be the bottom line? Mm -hmm. uh, should we be going away from this? Um, or looking at a better, more sustainable way of managing an ecosystem, not just a forest. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I agree with that. I feel that sentiment too, because uh, usually when a president's making a big splash like that, there is probably some sort of political lean to it. So um, yeah, I, I can agree with that. Uh, another issue I wanted to touch on too, because it's something that I struggle with, um, but have been advancing my opinion a little bit here and there, is just, um, what do you think about the use of non-native species, cultivars, and clones for uh, forestry purposes? Um, forestry? I don't like them. Um, we are, out here in Oregon, we are a little jaded. Our, call it what it is, our crop tree is Douglas fir. You know, super, super millions, yeah. Um, native to uh, Oregon? What's that? Yeah, it's native. Um, that and... We have Western Red Cedar and Hemlock, which are decent trees, but really, it's Doug fir. Mm -hmm. And I, I understand if there's a small farmer and is like, I want to grow palm trees in Oregon. Okay, fine. It's not native. Have fun, make your money. But I see it as just an invasive. Um, 
we have bamboo here and there and invasive it goes wild so i prefer no i simply prefer to stay away from those whenever if ever possible i'm specifically concerned about the cloning issue um more in urban forestry because that's just what, I, what i've been immersed in for so long because mm -hmm. the non-native species thing seems to be uh be kind of well known the consequences more and more um i i feel like it's not uh emphasized enough sometimes in forestry because um the crop is emphasized but you know i think that the consequence on the local ecology is not necessarily weighted heavy enough when the, those decisions are being made but more concerning is i think the i think the main consequence there is the the, the local ecology looking at local insects and animals that need need native plants but the cloning issue is a whole nother thing because not only does it it people justify because they'll say okay we have the uh like the golden like honey locust clone you know cultivar that we, we've created and they will plant that that clone across an entire urban landscape even though they'll diversify the species so it looks like they have a very diverse urban forest but it's the entirely same clone so when a disease or an insect um you know yeah. wipes out, like we even saw like emerald ash borer wiped out all of our ash but and but it, what the last ones to go were blue ash and certain certain kinds of blue ash the only and same with same with all like any infestation is that the genetic diversity is the only thing that slows um those types of uh major breaks at breakouts so i'm concerned about the the widespread use of clones even though i see the utility in it but um yeah well it's it's real in the end it's the bottom line you know, we want a tree in an urban environment that looks like X. It looks like, you know, the honey locust. Yeah, they're beautiful trees, middle mm -hmm. But when you start cloning them, what have you, we clone them because we know this genetic makeup works well. And so we don't want to spend a couple hundred thousand and have 15 to 20% of our trees die. We want, you know, maximum output does what we could possibly get. Um, I get it from a bottom line financial perspective it does make sense but i do not agree with it because you're now as you mentioned you're limiting your insect population your bird population to this particular species or this particular variant of that species yeah, um, and I think, I think when municipalities too like if you are a municipality or a forestry manager and you are purchasing a large amount of uh, trees for your purpose you also need to um factor in the cost of losing an entire species population because you used a clone too right so if the bottom line is the concern there's a cost to leaving yourself vulnerable as well right yeah. um but it's just when you it's also that yeah like i mentioned that idea that we know species x genetic makeup of species x works let's use it you know it's worked the past 10 years let's use it on year 11. Over time, you know as well as I, something will happen. Yeah, that's going to affect that. It's just people aren't don't have enough forethought. They don't think 20, 50, 100 years out. Yeah, that's that's that, that's definitely true. People don't even think. I think one year out sometimes. So, uh, so what? As for you being kind of immersed in forestry, what do you want to see changed, uh, or, or like what do you see is like the new trend that you are excited about, or? Um, I want to see 
the in forest in forest ecology i want to see more people involved in it i want to see people educated the public educated on simple issues uh, we can't expect everyone to go out and get an associate's degree in what we're doing but uh to be active in public meetings to be active in you know informational meetings whether it be state um or federal projects and because that i see is not just in forestry but in all in the natural resource world the biggest problem we have is how do you educate the public that need to be educated about a topic but who don't want to be because they don't have the time or they're it's just not interested it doesn't affect them day to day um again it's that one year mindset mm. they don't get it that you know if our bee population decreases by 50 percent that affects us affects your food prices oh wow okay well then maybe it's in, they're interested but that's not happening now on just to give one example so i'd rather see i'd like to see that increase now with fire <laughs> out here it's starting to happen unfortunately it's taking a catastrophe but as the saying goes never uh let a catastrophe go to waste and so we have a lot of people who are now very interested in fire behavior and fuels management and so we do our best to go yes um, everything out here when it comes to fire is fuel you me the trees everything so maybe growing trees like a crop which is in the end pushes the needles closer and closer together for us maybe we need to take another look at that to see if that's the best practice considering climate change is on the way and is happening so if you, if a, an environmental or a non-environmental professional is li listening just a citizen and uh, they do want to get involved um, and, and support the industry uh, mm -hmm. how specifically would you advise them to get involved um find out what they may have an interest in i mean you don't want to push someone push a topic on someone and say i know you don't like it but you must learn this no um but i think everyone in in our heart has an affinity for trees um so contact either your state forester or even city or um, county foresters and find out what projects they have going on and often before these projects uh their planning committees they have forums where they they're wanting public input so go to those and start learning um what they're doing and start asking why I mean, it's everyone can't complain about someone cutting down a tree but no one bothers to ask why why is this tree being cut down and so get interested locally um just like politics ecology starts in your backyard mm -hmm. i think that's the best way to look at this from the public's point of view and then hopefully in a few of these people it'll spur growth and say okay i'm interested now in our our community and not just my backyard i'm interested now maybe in this watershed not my backyard so That's yeah start locally perfect perfect um what's your favorite tree species <laughs> oh i have to go with uh, aldo leopold here i'm stealing his quote i 
I love all trees, but I'm in love with pines. <laughs> really am. I uh, love my pine species, um, whether it be ponderosa, limber, what have you. Uh, have you I do love my pines. Have you traveled and seen pines in other parts of the world as well? Uh, Colorado, Oregon, Montana. Um, I haven't gone up to Canada yet, um, but pine out in the west, western U.S., it's pretty much northern border to southern border. Mm. Okay, there's, there's pines all over the world, so hopefully post-pandemic you'll be able to uh, check some of them out at some point. Uh, are, there any, happen soon. Yes. Uh, are there any types of environmental professionals that you're looking to connect with? Um, I'm looking to connect with people who are interested in a more holistic um, point of view and uh, and to, to understand this the ecological aspect of a community and how it impacts its local ecosystem, whether it be a watershed, whether it be just a stand of trees. Um, people who are interested in implementing a forest plan, but need to need to understand what are the social psychological economic impacts on the community these types of professionals because um, i think at first when it comes to forestry it was look at the trees and then you realized i can't manage the trees i need to manage the whole system if i want a healthy forest now it's well yeah we want a healthy forest we want to manage the system but we have to understand that the system resides next to a community and that community relies directly upon that system one way or another so we need their input we need uh, a more collaborative holistic point of view and how can people reach you i'm sorry what was that and how can people reach you oh um for me itself it's i think it's going to be best to go with uh gmail just email account um my first and last name mario mora and then pnw pacific northwest at gmail.com great okay well i'll put your a little biography about you and your contact information in the show notes uh for this episode um okay. thank you thank you for your time today it was it was really an honor to to talk to you and finally meet you oh my pleasure and please continue what you're doing and because i think that you are doing a fantastic job not only looking at a local or continent but a worldwide perspective because we need everyone's point of view right because no one knows everything and so we all need to talk each other talk to each other and have and be humble enough to realize that i want to hear you i want to hear someone from europe i want to hear someone from china what have you yeah appreciate you. that and appreciate you take care take care